Subscribers, it's your premium episode for the week. It's episode 43. I'm Will Meneker. Joining me as always, Felix Biederman. Hello, everyone. And Matt Chrisman. Suppose. <laughs> it is just the Dry Boys today. We're flying solo, the original triumvirate, um, together again at last, alone. We're also we're flying at half-mast because... About 10 minutes before we started recording, I found out that Shouty Lowe had died. And I just want to say that as a kid, Shouty Lowe taught me that it was okay to be weird. Uh, and he informed uh, the kind of adult I grew up as. I have no idea who that is. I actually told He's, he's the Felix, king of Bankhead. I'll, I don't know what that means either. I told Felix this earlier this year when I met him. Uh, I think it was the first time I met him. I confess that... It was only recently that I discovered that uh, Odd Future and Future were different people. <laughs> uh, whatever, whoever this person is, I'm sure they were good at rapping. And I'm sorry for your loss, everyone. Well, Matt, uh, I never answered how Odd Future and Future are different. But Odd Future, that's for if you drink NyQuil because you're 15. Whereas Future is if you drink Lean because you're an adult. <laughs> That's helpful. Thank you. Before we uh, start the, the show this week, I just want to get a little bit of house cleaning out of the way. And that would be, uh, first off, I would like to personally apologize to Thandy Newton uh, for last week's premium show where we discussed the movie Crash. And for no fucking reason, I managed to screw up her name, which is not even a hard name to pronounce. It's so easy. Anything. And I, I knew you were doing that. And I was like, is, is this a bit? Is he doing this as a joke, as part of our running bit about you not being able to pronounce people's names? And at one point, I even said her name. And I was thinking, OK, I if didn't, he's not doing uh, this on purpose, he'll pick up on this and maybe stop. No. Amazing. No. Kill no, it. I know. You can't stop, Will. Will... Will has a mispronunciation of names ability that you only see in people's moms. <laughs> <laughs> I, I genuinely do feel bad about that one because at the beginning of the show, I asked Alex if I could if I could pronounce his Twitter handle correctly, and then I guess it is in fitting with the show in which I promise to do better and then immediately do worse. <laughs> that is why do better is I'll do better is funny is because it pretty much always means that. It means I will do good enough to avoid having to like delete my Twitter account, and then when people forget, I'm back, baby. I'm back. Uh, in the in the Church of Chew, uh, Will, you are required to watch four hours of gay pornography <laughs> and say three. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> done and done, and I mean done. 
Uh, I would also, <laughs> I would also like to apologize to Lorenz Taint. I know I <laughs> called him Lorenz. I called him Lorenz Taint for half of the show, but again, uh, I, 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 I have no excuses, people. I have no excuses, uh, but I am making a conscious effort to do better, and uh, I hope you'll forgive me. But I actually legitimately felt bad about that one because this is not like Ross. Douthit, or however the fuck you say his name, or just someone I don't respect. Thandie Newton is a good actress. Um, you know, there's there's no reason to egregiously insult her, even if it is um, inadvertent. How do you, Will, how do you say the name of the young star of the movie Transformers, whose first name is named after <laughs> our favorite kind of Islam? <laughs> Shia LaBeouf. Not the worst I've ever heard. Shia LaBeouf. All right, yeah, yeah. yeah. He should be Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf would be yeah. cooler. I mean, I actually asked how to pronounce. Speaking of, uh, we're back to rap music again. I did. I did ask Twitter how to pronounce Ray Strimmerd, and I figured <laughs> out it's ear drummers backward. So that's another tidbit, another thing I learned this week. Someone, someone I really care about is a huge Ray Strimrod fan, and uh, it uh, it's hard. It's sort of like uh, it's sort of like being married to a heroin addict. <laughs> they're good though. They're no, good. they're not. <laughs> they sound like they're dying of uh, chlorine bombs <laughs> that Assad dropped on them, that the lion dropped on them. We've had a busy week, and uh, it's only getting busier. I Holy mean, shit! It this is. is what fucking show business is really like, man. Uh, if for some reason you're a subscriber to the show and don't know that we have two live shows coming up basically back to back on Saturday and Monday night of this upcoming week, the 24th and the 26th. Um, but yeah, we're just a uh, full court press to get ready for those. Um, what do you say guys? Are you excited? I'm really excited. My mom is actually coming. My mom and my, my mom, my brother was already going, even though it's his birthday. You know, when you are, that's how selfless he is. He, it's his birthday, but he's gonna. It's my night to be racist. Uh, my mom moved her trip up to go to the show. Um, uh, just saying this out loud, it would be really bad if you know my pants fell down. Everyone saw my dick. I said the n word, and a light fixture fell on me. But because I've said that, that won't happen <laughs> with my mom there. It's like a, a Final Destination type embarrassment yeah. uh, live on stage Mark in front of Dice, your mom. Final yeah. Destination. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, Saturday night, we're going to be at the uh, the Genius Headquarters in Gowanus, Brooklyn uh, for a live show. Um, the tickets are going fast as of this uh, recording. It's Wednesday night. I think there are only about 50 or 60 tickets left before the, the dang fire marshal will shut us down if we cram any more people in there. So if you haven't got tickets and you want to come, uh, definitely do that now. And then Monday night, we're going to be at New York's famous comedy club, Caroline's on Broadway, to provide live commentary for the first presidential debate between Hillary, Rodham, Clinton, and Donald J. Trump. Moderated by Lester Holt. We are, we do have an opening act. Billy Mitchell, the uh, star Trump supporter from Twitter who looks like racist Patrick Warburton's dad. <laughs> uh, he will be opening for us. And uh, then you're going to see a little bit of uh, my stand-up special, Sorry Not Sorry. 
<laughs> you know, I, it, I I checked it, and I think you know you know who's going before us or like that evening uh, at Caroline's. Michael Richards. <laughs> <laughs> Almost, uh, David Allen Greer. Hell yeah, I like David Allen Greer. D A G baby, D A G. Chocolate news, baby. Yeah, I remember Chocolate News. That legitimately makes me excited because I was a big Loveline listener as a boy, and it was one of the many things that like ruined my brain. But he was, if you remember the show, he was the best guest, and that was many moons ago before Adam Carolla became unacceptably racist. He <laughs> was just acceptably racist. <laughs> but you but, guys, uh, you you listeners, you know, you're thinking about it. You're not going to be able to endure that debate. It's going to be the worst thing ever to happen. Uh, the only way you're going to make it even moderately tolerable is to have our whips and quips and jokes and spoofs and goofs to make it tolerable. Uh, I mean, just to give you a little flavor, they released, NBC released the topics. Uh, that oh, this going, is great. They're going to be uh, discussed during this debate. They are America's Direction. Achieve prosperity and securing America. I, if you ever wondered how a screeching or, orange idiot game show host became a major party candidate, that should give you a fucking clue. Uh, I am excited for when it gets to uh, securing our nation and Hillary goes, I may not be Martin Lawrence, but I'm starring in... National security. <laughs> I can't wait for uh, Trump to be like, listen, I love Bigfoots. We all love Bigfoots. They're fantastic. They run around. Uh, some of my best friends are Bigfoots, but we got to be honest. They're running around. They're knocking over garbages. They're scaring in the seniors. We got to kill them. I'm sorry, look, but we got to get tough. Look, some of my best friends are Draculas. Uh I, you know, I, you can do a great deal with a Dracula. You people are great deal makers, but <laughs> many Draculas are haunting our nation. I was going to say, Matt, you, you brought up Bigfoot, and if Trump were to actually reach out to the uh, the cryptozoology demographic, I think that's actually a bigger pool of people than the moderate Republicans who may, might vote for Hillary Clinton. Well, there see, are more Hil people. Yeah, Hillary is is low key. Uh, kind of made a pitch to them because she's promised to open the UFO archives that the U.S. government holds uh, if she's made president. I think she needs to really publicize that more and, yeah, also promise to kill and dissect at least one Bigfoot. <laughs> America demands it. But um, seriously, though, uh, we would love it if uh, you, our, our precious listeners, our family, our friends were to join us on one or both of these nights if you are in the New York City area. Come out. There, it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, just we'd love to see you there. Moving on uh, to our topics for the show, i got a couple of things uh, I'd like to discuss uh, today. Uh, the first of which is um, a really interesting article that was in the Washington Post this week by Terrence McCoy. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to read the title because it's going to give it away. I just want to read from the beginning of this article, and uh, you'll get the picture pretty pretty soon. So this is uh, Terrence McCoy writing in the Washington Post, Dateline, Winder, Georgia, or Winder. I don't know. I'll say Probably both. Winder. Hope, uh, Pro Winder, Georgia. God damn it! God damn it! <laughs> Will, uh, the what was the whole thing about doing better? Remember that? Uh, I caught myself. I caught myself. 
he's not perfect. He's growing. Yeah. Let him grow. Uh, but actually, both of you are wrong. I'm a the, grower, not a shower. The the I in this town's name is silent. It's wonder. <laughs> reading from reading now. It says all Jim Cooley wants to do is buy some soda. You want to come to Walmart? He asks his wife. No, Maria says. Pretty please, Jim asks. I'm not going to sit there and have the police called on you. I mean, I don't want to see that crap, Maria says, knowing what a trip to Walmart means. She knows her 51-year-old husband has two guns inside the house, and this afternoon it won't be the 9mm, which he straps on with a round in the chamber when grabbing lunch at his favorite fast food restaurant or visiting a friend's auto shop. It'll be the AR-15 semi-automatic rifle, which he brings when going somewhere he thinks is dangerous, like the Atlanta airport, where he's taken it loaded with a 100-bullet drum, or Walmart, where he thinks crowds could pose easy targets for terrorists. Now, like I said, I, I, you know what the article's about. The headline here is, In Jim Cooley's Open Carry America, even a trip to Walmart can require an AR-15. And what I love about this article is that like the, the beginning of it is like a, just a beautiful like single scene play. And I just want to finish this scene between Jim Cooley and his wife, Maria. <sighs> I got to get soda. Maria sighs. She worked the night before assembling air conditioner compressors at a nearby factory. And in a few hours, she knows she'll have to leave for a third shift. Yeah, she says, giving in. I might as well get this travesty out of the way. What travesty? You carrying a big old rifle in the store, scaring the hell out of all the Walmart shoppers. There's no difference between carrying a rifle and carrying a handgun, he says. You tried that last time, remember, Maria says, stepping into a pair of flip-flops and running her fingers through her hair. And what happened? Barrow County Sheriffs, three or four of them. They can't tell me what and what not to carry, Jim says. You know I wouldn't listen to them anyway. Well, you go one way in the store, I'll go the other, Maria says. Then when they say, ma'am... Do you know this person? I'll say no. I've never seen him before in my life. (laughs) He places a lit cigarette into an ashtray, walks into his bedroom, reaches behind its door, picks up the AR-15, snaps the magazine with 15 rounds, and slings the rifle around his left shoulder so it rests against his torso. Ready? He asks. (laughs) Yeah, she says, grabbing her purse and following her husband out the door for an afternoon trip to Walmart to buy soda. It's Operation Dr. Thunder. We're going to be rolling out heavy. Uh, we've got uh, escorts uh, on the 2 and the 15, and we're going to be coming in hot. We need uh, air cover and uh, artillery support. Over. This is actually the sequel to Black Hawk Down, when a former Army Ranger gets caught underneath a errant uh, rascal scooter, <laughs> and the uh, President Hillary Clinton ignores his request for support. As he's pinned down and people take all the uh, cherry vanilla, Dr. Pepper. This is a really... The article goes on. I want to read more from the article. But before we do, it's just like... This is a really well done article because obviously like that that opening scene there just has a beautiful rhythm. And I really enjoyed the characters of Jim and his his long-suffering wife, Maria. Oh, poor Um, Maria. I think we've all been a Maria at least once in our life but um, the, the article goes on and really what it does is have um, it, it's it's funny but it's actually a very kind of sobering portrait of a certain type of person and how they become the type of guy who carries a loaded AR-15 to go buy soda because he thinks it's dangerous or he thinks that uh, 
uh, that he's doing a public service in some way. Like, here, look, here's a, here's another detail. It says, uh, as Jim has learned, it fits nicely between the front seats of a white minivan with peeling paint on the front and a bumper sticker on the back that says, I love law. <laughs> I gotta love law, brother. <laughs> law, love it, brother. it's the best. Uh, Jim, it says, Jim goes everywhere with his gun, if not the AR-15, then his sidearm and is so reliant on one being close by that it surprises him to think that the majority of his life was lived otherwise. He was raised in a working-class family in Chicago where he can't imagine living now because of its strict gun laws. But they didn't bother him then. He didn't hunt. He didn't fear for his safety. If his dad had a gun, no one knew. He grew up without a gun, went to church without a gun, married Maria without a gun, began raising two children without a gun, and settled into a life that felt as safe as it was defendable. But then it began unraveling, starting when he was fired from a trucking job days after telling Maria, who was pregnant with their first child, to quit her job and focus on the baby, that he could support them both. Their first bankruptcy filing wasn't far behind, then the second, then the third. Then they were moving to Florida, where Maria had gotten had family and where Jim got a job with a grocery chain. It transferred him to Winder, and he moved the family into a middle-class neighborhood struggling with crime and drugs. Um, so yeah, it's like this... You know, he he didn't grow up like this. It's like how, this is, answers the question: like, how does a person become like this? Uh, before any of you say it, very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah, we can't say anything def- definitive, uh, obviously, because this is just one dude. But I mean, doesn't it make sense? And this is the thing that baffles me about this long-running argument that's been going on all election season about, like, well, is the problem with uh, white poor white people racism or is it because they're poor like the idea that these are things that can be t- untangled from one another like, right you know the the very fact is that if people's lives are unstable if they feel like their ability to you know fucking live and and, and have a roof over their heads and sustain themselves and their family is threatened they're going to reach out for things to reassert control of their lives and people to blame for it. And since we live in a culture that is absolutely suffused with white supremacy, that is, you know, in everything, in the air we breathe and every moment of our lives, of fucking course a lot of people are going to go to that in those kind of situations where they feel like that. And because gun ownership and sort of the idea of the of the, of the lone... Uh, armed citizen defending his family and his hearth is so powerful of fucking course people are going to turn to that in order to feel like they have some control over themselves so basically all these pathological elements of American society will always be made worse when people's economic conditions are more tenuous I uh, no, go ahead. I, I, I have kind of a uh, a weirdly apolitical insight to this um I started doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, like, seriously lifting weights when I was about 19. And uh, the first probably four months that I did it, as anyone does, you know, I would get my ass kicked in training a lot because you suck, you're panicking, you're thinking too much. And I got better in the next two months after that. But it didn't, you know, everyone always talks about how they get calmed from training. But it didn't do that for me. For a little while I was more tense than I ever was I was always like when I would see like another guy I would always think like 
just envision him envision like whichever guy like knocking me out or choking me or whatever the fuck because there is sort of a subconscious fear in most men of being dominated and most people will never train in any like form of combat but you get dominated enough and then you get better it will lay this fear because it happened to you and it's not that bad and you improve sort of like as a competitor but for me it for a little while i was like oh no there are these you know i had gotten i had gotten my ass kicked in a fight before i ever started training but i didn't have that same fear but it sort of opened my like the more that i learned about fighting the more that it made me afraid of all the different ways i could get humiliated in a fight and then you know that eventually went away i just kept training and of course wasn't 19 probably the worst age for a male to be you get to you get to inoculate yourself to this fear by training by growing older. Guns are different because it's not like you get to spar somebody with guns. <laughs> you're just you're building up you're building up this arsenal. Then you see more and more people. You see more and more people with guns. You drive yourself crazy thinking about these scenarios. This active shooter scenario or a fucking suicide bomber or ISIS is invading your Walmart, and you get so obsessed with your this type of combat and your means of defense that you have to be tensed up at all times and ready to fight at all times because you've built this hypothetical up so much with no outlet for it. I will never train or get a gun and I totally ready to get killed by a terrorist because then I would be a famous as the stupid lib who made fun of terrorism and got killed. <laughs> and at least then I would live forever. <laughs> As a meme. Yeah, Do you know how exactly. many fucking elevator cocks would laugh at us if you got killed by a suicide bomber? Now this can't happen. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, terrorism's a big joke, huh? Where's one third of your show? <laughs> <laughs> well, th th this is after, you know, the week in which uh, some guy blew up a dumpster in Chelsea, which I thought was kind of a big joke. <laughs> that was hilarious. That was hilarious. And they, all the elevator cocks were like, oh, are you laughing now? Yes, yeah. it's really funny. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. It's really funny. I that mean, guy I was the biggest fucking fail dork on earth. That <laughs> fucking fat loser. He literally, <laughs> he just, he lived in Jersey. He took the path into Manhattan and then he just dropped some bombs and dumpsters on the way to and from his path station. Just like he Can couldn't be bothered to like even detour from like the, the his, his uh, commute because he's such a fucking loser. Yeah, it, it's like if Muhammad, if like Muhammad Atta, <laughs> he was like, uh, I really don't want to make the trip to LaGuardia. I think I'm just going to crash a uh, Cessna into an H&R block. <laughs> <laughs> fucking I mean, loser. You know, you laugh, but speaking personally, a friend of mine used to live uh, on 23rd Street. And when I'd visit her, I'd walk by that block all the time. So, I mean... I just thought to myself, if this had happened nine years ago, I mean, every day is a blessing. Where were you when the world stopped turning on that September day? Were you in the yard with your wife and children or working on some stage in L.A.? As I, as I have told 200 women in DMs since this event occurred, 
you know, if I had been doing what I normally do that day, which is take a picture of me in the dumpster to make a point <laughs> about white genocide for Gavin McGinnis, I could have died. And I shouldn't be alone right now, and I should not be seeing nipples right now. Uh, you know, obviously, things blowing up in a major American city, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not cool and good. Okay. Well, you know, we, we, may, we may find the dark humor in it. It's actually not cool and good. Except for shows blowing up. Genius <laughs> Compound, September 24th. Oh, my God. What, what if someone attacked our show? Wouldn't Holy shit. Delicious? If we survive, <laughs> like, that would be so good for yeah, us. Yeah, if we survive, yeah, we, don't we, do that. Get, we'd, be, we'd get to go on, like, Fox News. We'd get to meet Sean Hannity. It'd be amazing. Yeah. Hey uh, guys, listeners, subscribers, do not tell anyone we're planning a false flag. <laughs> Keep it to yourselves. Sigh up. But uh, th- the point is, you know, like the, the the world can seem frightening, and even more so when you are, as Matt was saying, uh, economically unstable and just generally a feeling of kind of dislocation and feeling out of control of your own life. Everything else in the world seems all the bit all the more out of control, and I just want to read, go back to the article and just read some examples of sort of what happened to Jim Cooley. He says uh, he lights a cigarette, feels the breeze from an open window because the air conditioner is broken, and takes a sip of soda. <laughs> I'm glad he got the soda. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, thank uh, God. It, by the way, his wife works in an air conditioner factory, and their air conditioner is broken. I just like that's an added just bonus. That's some fucking English. That's some Marx and Engels shit. People, yeah, yeah, people being exploited really to make machinery and objects that they can't afford to buy. And it says, uh, and he takes a sip of soda from a big mug that says Athens Regional Medical Center. <laughs> it, it, again, we shouldn't laugh at this, but if you it, look, there is a certain grim humor here. It's a, it's a memento of sorts from the day in late 2008 when he emerged from that hospital with three stents in his heart. Debts worth $41,000 and a dawning realization that he was now disabled, broke, and would never work again. After the heart attack, he lost most of the circulation in his legs, received three more stents, and started using an electric scooter whenever he had to walk long distances. He told Maria he was all used up, a drag on the family. She should think about leaving him. But she wouldn't, even after the hospital sued him for unpaid medical bills, even after he was arrested when he carried a a 380 pistol outside a school board meeting, even after he came home one day with an AR-15, he... He shot it at a nearby firing range and feeling a sense of control that had gone missing in his life, told Maria he could now keep the family safe. I got to say, this guy, I mean, yeah, he carries a gun around and everything, but I kind of feel like he's a bit of a poser because how has he not mounted a 50 caliber machine gun to the front of that scooter of his? Oh, it, I mean, in, later on. in the article, it does talk about how he mounts uh, the gun on the scooter, Matt. It's not a 50 cal, but... Uh, no, you need to get the belt. Just you go, need belt-fed shit. You need belt-fed stuff. You need to turn it into a technical, like ISIS go, uses. Going, going back a little bit to my analogy with, uh, I guess, fighting, um, I wrote an article for Deadspin about like why MMA fighters believe weird shit. And why they're attracted to MMA. We talked about that with uh, Jordan Breen. With Jordan Breen, yeah. that episode. Well, you see kind of a similar thing. If you feel you are completely disabused and not a member of the world and do not reap in any of of the benefits of society and your life is just downhill and will never get better, what will make you just not chew through your pillow and 
paying yourself like the ability to hurt or kill somebody. Well, yeah, it goes on in the article. It said, um, uh, this is from Maria's perspective. She says, at first she didn't understand the changes she saw in the man she married 24 years ago. Why did he suddenly want a gun when he never mentioned one before? Why did he get her one too? Why did he put two four-inch knives inside the car's passenger side door? And why all the security cameras? Maria glances at the small screen beneath the rearview mirror. It shows feeds from surveillance cameras fixed inside the car that start recording when someone turns the ignition. Um, but Maria went along with all of it. She bought a 380 semi-automatic and has gotten used to taking it with her wherever she goes. Um, so much of her life involves accommodating him now, including just before they left for Walmart and he asked her to send a Facebook message to a local deputy about his plans. What do you want me to tell him, Maria asked. Say, hey buddy, I'm going to Walmart and I'm going to have my AR with me, so if any call comes over the radio, you know it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to... Uh, it says, uh, she messaged the deputy, then look at Jim's Facebook page. It bore pictures of her husband carrying guns and posts about a country dissolving into chaos and videos about people stopping intruders with guns, people killing burglars with guns, people shooting big guns, small guns, all kinds of guns that he watches late into the night. Uh, I, I want to read one last thing. It says, uh, so she went along with that too, and now here she is now, pulling into a parking spot outside of Walmart and her husband reaching for an AR-15 that he tells her sometimes he would have no problem using against, using against a thief breaking into their house or a violent protester in the streets of Milwaukee or a terrorist in Syria or, if necessary, even a stray dog on their lawn. What I like about that is like the, the declining slope of ambitions. You know, like this is a guy who needs just a please, mobility scooter to get around. Something. Just let me kill something. <laughs> Just anything. It says. By the way, good Jim, good luck with that with that bad circulation and, uh, and you know like uh, dropsy or whatever the hell he has. I don't think he's gonna be able to like throw down accurately on any of these threats. Well, look, I mean that, that, that's all I want to read from the article. We, we're linked to it. It's it, it's a really good article. And like I said, if you can't find in the it, you know, it, it, look, it made me think like what what do we owe someone like Jim Cooley? Like you know how. Seriously, should we take him? And Matt, this is like you were talking about. This is like sort of a question that a lot of like you know liberals and people in the press are agonizing over themselves. Like you know, we can't look down on these you know benighted people, which is condescending in its own way. I mean, my attitude is, like we said, if you can't see the humor in this scenario of Jim Cooley and his trips to Walmart to buy soda, I mean, yeah, I I don't know what to say to you. It's, yeah, on it's the like same there's, hand, yeah. if if you can read like the description of what his life is like and not feel for him, then I also don't understand you because there's yeah. a real sadness. There, yeah, there, it's, and, there's, there. two, there's sort of two traps that people get fall into and seem to be the only, people who are stuck in those and the only ones who argue over this shit. And those are the people who, on the one hand, just like basically are in a cocoon of their own sense of self-congratulation and superiority to them. And they're just like, these fucking idiots, they're so stupid. We don't... Just let's forget about them. We could just pretend, you know, wait for them to die. But then on the other side, you've got these people who are like, hold on a minute, you know, these f simple people hold a lot of wisdom. And it's like, actually, no, they're mostly idiots. Uh, <laughs> and like, we have to be able to say that. We have to be able to say that they are, you know, like most people, kind of dumb and uh, reacting sort of knee jerk to the world around them. And they don't have a lot of ability to evaluate things on sort of an abstract level. That's true of most people. That's true of us most of the time. Certainly when we're in distress, that's not, I mean, I don't think anybody, even the most, you know, uh, coastal elite person is ever going to be their most detached and 
uh, rational self when they're in a state of distress. Uh, but I yeah, think and that the- especially also like when your life sucks. Yeah. Like because that, I mean I think like that's at bottom what we're talking about here, and like this is sort of how I was thinking about it. Like you know look like Jim Cooley. You know, obviously, like th- this guy is like the Trump voter. He's obsessed with this idea that America is falling into chaos. And when you, you know, listen to a lot of the rhetoric that's coming from the right, you know, either from Trump supporters or even the never the elevator, uh, the never Trump elevator boys, it- it's this idea that like you know uh, America and, e- and even Western civilization is falling apart. You know, they traffic in the birth and death of like entire cultures and civilizations, and in the way that they mean it they're almost entirely wrong. I mean, like, because, you know, rationally we can say it's probably now, it's probably safe, technically safer to live in America than maybe any time in the world. But then again, it's also difficult to talk about because when compared to any other, like, comparable first world nation, America's insanely violent. But that being said, like, from the other side, there's like the kind of, you know, the Hillary Dems, this idea that, you know, America's already great or things are great. This is a, okay. this, these immigrants who come to America, they know America's great and they want to be here because it's a great country. And I think what it comes down to is that, look, uh, American culture and civilization isn't falling apart. It's not like, you know, Mad Max or something like that. But you just can't get away from the fact that life just sucks. Like it may not be, your life may not be an existential danger, but it just may be an existential boredom and just, you know, misery. That and, and the boredom thing is very important because that is a huge driver of this guy's kind of paranoia. Absolutely. I mean, the very fact is turning every trip to Walmart into the Benghazi extraction mission <laughs> makes your life exciting. Otherwise, you're just yeah. going to get fucking soda at Walmart. And if that's, your, if that's the highlight of your day, my God, how don't you kill yourself? But if it also doubles as this... Uh, you know this operator's uh, trip into potential danger, and that you're locked and ready for. Then you got that constant drip of adrenaline through the whole thing, and it, it gives it power and panache and and all that good shit. No, I was gonna say I think that really describes a lot of the the kind of open carry person because. Uh, or the people, you know, look, I, if you want to have a gun because you think it protects your home, I don't see what's wrong with that. But, like, getting into it to the degree, I just saw something the other day that 50% of all the guns in America are owned by 3% of the people. Yeah. And, you know, like, like there are less and less people are actually buying guns, but if a small amount of people are buying a fuckload of guns. And, like, these people, I think it's because, like, the risk heuristic through which they see the world is fundamentally broken. Yeah. Like, well, and, there's and, a, but but like as you said, Matt, there's like the the reward from that is sort of feeling like you're in an action movie all the time. Yeah, absolutely, it's awesome. I mean, there's a slogan on the on the gun in the gun circuit, and this is the thing you hear all the time. It's how many guns do I own? I own more guns than I need, but fewer than I want. <laughs> Which is on its face an insanely idiotic thing to say, but people are very proud of it. They got fucking bumper stickers with that shit on it, because like and every gun is like a little more manliness, and every gun is a little more danger, and and yeah, well, a, a, another brick in sort of this imaginarium that you're creating. And he, and you know, and here's the other thing that I think a lot of liberals don't get about guns is that they are fun. Like, oh hell yeah! Shooting guns it is fun as hell, like objectively, you know. But I don't know, taking them to Walmart, maybe not. But I'd say that the the way to square the circle and deal with this how to how to handle these people's uh, stuff isn't to condescend to them or to 
just heap them with scorn. It's to just propose social policies that will help them, regardless of their shitty personal views. Yeah, absolutely. And, and some of them article, are going to hold on to being assholes, a good chunk of them, because that's their identity is based around being assholes. assholes. But like yeah, maybe other one, maybe other people feel like they don't give as much of a shit about that. They feel less compelled to organize their lives around that because they have a sense of control over the, their lives. Which they would get if they had more, uh, you know, a, a, a more social grounding and more, more of a safety net. And the thing is, is that you you don't need to get peel off that many of them to have an electoral coalition with other groups that could be winning. It's not like you have to get them en masse. You Which just is have why to cut, thought, off, cut off a nice chunk and you're good. No, I was going to say this is why I thought the article was so good because it does give a portrait of a guy who didn't start out like this at all like you know he didn't come from a background where like everyone had guns all the time he he became this way and was sort of driven crazy by the circumstances in his life and what i when we began this i said like what do we owe the, the jim coolies of the world at least from our perspective and i would just say one in which you don't get forty thousand dollars in medical bills that like pretty much blows away your future because you had a heart attack i mean that, that's the best solution i can think of Indeed. Uh, I actually think the solution is katanas. <laughs> Replace all guns with katanas. We need better uh, uh, Bushido training for yeah. everyone in America. Free Bushido. Either Bushidos or we go the other way and we just put Samantha B on giant screens in town <laughs> oh, squares God. in every city in America until everyone is woke. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, you know, woke plus, which is when you lecture everybody else, but your husband works hard to keep the wrong type of black people out of your <laughs> yes. kid's school. Fuck Samantha B. I stand with Ross Dude Hat. Only we can beat up Ross. Fuck George Allen Swagger B. Fuck Samantha B. Fuck all of Ross's enemies, except for us. I think we're going to be talking more about Ross and Samantha B. at our, uh, at our live show on Hell yeah. Saturday night. So. Yeah. Okay, uh, moving on to, uh, from a, like I said, just a grim and depressing portrait of life and contemporary life in America, uh, let's move on to a, uh, to lighter fare, to, uh, the, uh, a reading series I have picked out for this week, uh, where we dip back into 
show favorite Ross Dow. No, fuck. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> they all they all sound and are the same. But no, uh, we're, I'm dipping back into the uh, the Rod Dreher well with a with a great reading series this week. And can we get a I Twilight can... Zone drop for Rod's unreality issues? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're now entering the the, the zone. Benedict Zone. Yeah, the Benedict Zone. Uh, uh, Captain, uh, t- p- pilot, there's a trans person on the wing of this plane. <laughs> uh, my name's Talking Tina. My pronouns are Z, Zir, Zern. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the new trans patriarch of the Eastern Orthodox Church. <laughs> no! I came here to escape you! The, 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 the book, the book, there is, it says to, to serve trans man. <laughs> it's a how-to guide. It's a how-to guide. It's too late. Uh, yeah, we're, we're now entering the Benedict Zone with Rod Dreher. Uh, Rod has been on... God, he's been on a hell of a kick lately. Like, it's hard to pick out which one to do. I I, I chose this one because it's sort of a, a wild card. But he's been like heavy. He had a, he had a, a piece today. Uh, no, it was he had a, a long post this week at his blog on the American Conservative that I'm paraphrasing, but basically it was that uh, Western civilization deserves to be annihilated by the Asiatic hordes at our doorstep. I mean, he is really. The, the trans people have driven Rod around the, the fucking bend. He's he's lost it, and uh, he's ready for our society to be purged in a cleansing fire. But uh, this article is uh, a lot funnier than that. It's called, Can Your Avatar Determine Your Identity? <laughs> Rod has discovered video games, people, and would it surprise you to find out? He has concerns. <laughs> he has very specific concerns, though. So, uh, what do you say we dive into this one? Let's do it. Okay. Rod begins. Early in my teenage years, I was a miserable nerd. You surprised (laughs) me? Why? (laughs) I don't buy it. Clearly, he's doing hyperbole for comedic effect. No way. It's just I love it. He opens with just a hard turn. I I did not see that coming. Ross. God damn it. I thought Rod would be like QB1, you know, like Letterman, Homecoming King. Like, he's just an aggressively, like, normal guy. Just beams being well-adjusted his entire life. (laughs) Rod continues. Uh, One great joy in my life and in the life of my small nerd circle was Dungeons & Dragons. Similar to David French. Oh, wow. These guys are... Similar well, profile. I what bet is it about read like the a fucking <laughs> Silmarillion too? <laughs> what is just it about confirmed a twelve again? God damn, I'm tired of being right. What is it about a twelve sided dice that uh, makes you want to plant a mortar shell outside a bathroom? <laughs> we <laughs> we are like the uh, uh, the FBI profilers, but for a very specific type of uh, conservative. Uh, okay, continuing, he says. Um, this was in the early 1980s, and I was w- aware of the D&D panic in some Christian circles. But those weren't my circles, and my parents had no idea what I was doing. It was a heck of a lot of fun and became the center of my social life for a year or two. What I love about this is uh, <laughs> Rod is saying, as a kid, I wasn't aware of all of the uh, panic about satanic daycares and Dungeons and & Dragons, and I paid it no mind, but now I know better <laughs> <laughs> as an adult man. 
Uh, he says, I remember being so ticked off at the scare stories about teenagers supposedly freaking out over the game. So young and naive, right? <laughs> he says there was a 1982 TV movie, Mazes and Monsters, starring a young Tom Hanks exploiting this fear. Well, this is cool because I actually wasn't aware of this movie with a young Tom Hanks, but maybe now I'll check it out. All right. Um, yet I remember one night lying in bed, trying to fall asleep, thinking about the adventure my character was having in the game. I did this a lot, <laughs> and that night was no different from any other. For some reason, it struck me that the life of this fictional character whose storyline I was narrating was far more engaging to me than the actual life I was leading as a ninth grade nerd and social outcast. Don't get me wrong here. I was not remotely close to thinking that the game was reality. <laughs> it was... Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, this is yeah. literally a chick tract. I don't know if you guys remember, but there was yes, a chick tract yes. about Dungeons and Dragons. And this is it. He's recounting it. It was a bit unnerving, though, to realize that I preferred to live in the imaginative reality created by the game to real reality in which I was deeply unhappy with myself and everything around me. <laughs> <laughs> Making Holy me shit. unlike basically everyone else of that age group. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know any ninth grade boy all but like there's there is a one percent of like ninth grade boys who are really happy, confident. And the ones who are getting age. laid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ev- literally everyone else was lying awake at night thinking, God, the life I'm imagining is so much fucking better than the one. I'm uh, yeah. When I was like getting boners and uh, type and keyboarding class, uh, <laughs> I was really wishing I was basically anywhere else. I was, I was, uh, I had already had, uh, I was bored with having threesomes uh, by uh, the second quarter of freshman year, so I don't really know what he's talking about, but I mean, like, you know what, though? I have a feeling like this is an encouraging story. Like, Rod started out, like, projecting horrible mind shapes to avoid his deep, horrible pain inside and uh, just seeing goblins and ghouls when they weren't there and... Now, like, just not like that at all. (laughs) (laughs) At all. He says, uh, it was deep escapism, no doubt about it. And I still don't think it did any harm. Well, that he knows. Yeah. We'll be the judge of that, Rod. (laughs) (laughs) He says, in fact, it probably did me a lot of good compared to the other ways I might have escaped my adolescent adolescent unhappiness, booze, drugs, etc., the way, the way normal fucking kids do it. Uh, still, I can't deny that living, an, as, uh, living imaginatively as what I suppose today we would call an avatar had an unusual psychological effect on me. This character I played, I believe he was half-elf, but I can't remember, was everything I was not in real life but wanted to be. <laughs> there, was, <laughs> there was obviously no way to become a half-elf, and had I started presenting in public as a half-elf, I very quickly would have been made to understand that Holy I was living shit. in a fantasy world and ought to return to reality. Holy shit. <laughs> Uh, for listeners of the show, can have you already predicted where this is going? There was a, a few tells there. But, uh, uh, wh- this subtle. Is, this is like Lord of the Rings, but uh, they're going to throw. They're good. They're making a dangerous trip to a Target bathroom <laughs> to throw a vial of estrogen down a toilet. <laughs> so this is this is Rod's preface. This is what I love about him. He, like he has nice these three big paragraphs. Rod does n- he brevity does not is not like 
parody. Brevity is not his strong suit. I mean, he gives you a lot, a lot of bang for your it's buck. Like, it's like an epic poem about a guy who's afraid of his own dick. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, I think I was a half elf. <laughs> Rod is elfkin, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, see, he, uh, half elf, and you know, somewhere in, in his heart of hearts, that disgusts him now because it's like subtle miscegenation as well. Oh, yeah, this is what I've always been saying about Rod, though. The tragedy about Rod is that he should have fucking been born about twenty to thirty years later than he was. Because if Rod was someone with Rod's like whatever Brain. the fuck is wrong with him <laughs> today. Today, he'd be like, oh, I'm like, he would be like on Tumblr. He'd be like, oh, I'm uh, asexual elfkin. And then he'd be okay. He'd be like, I, I sexually No, no, but that's what terrifies him, as we can see. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what he wants, but he can't, yeah. he, the, some fucking perved out part of him will not wait, wait. allow himself to just be that. <laughs> so yeah, he should be Vanguard Vivian. Like, Sorry, slight digression. What are the people on Tumblr who like sexually identify with uh, inanimate objects? Yeah, Rod. Rod would be like a couchkin. <laughs> like I've seen construction equipment. Yeah, and it's just like it's not even like cartoons of like a construction, like a crane with a dick fucking a backhoe or something. It's just photos. Not of, normal stuff. Yeah, like. construction. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, well, <laughs> uh, you know, I have to go to the bathroom for five minutes to uh, not masturbate. By the way. Oh God, fantasy is so much better than reality, folks. It really um, is. Okay, so sorry, back to the article. Rod says, all of that is background for this story from today's New York Times about how the latest generation of video games are allowing players to expand their gender identities. And it goes on to, he quotes at length from the, uh, the New York Times article about how in The Sims and, uh, and all video games now, you can like customize your character. And wouldn't you know it, the video game companies didn't even make it required that you choose a character of the gender you were born with sickening they should there should in fact be like if you pick a gender different than your own gender in your video game like police should come to your house and murder you (laughs) i am not a crank rod says this is great this is great rod says one man says playing gay characters in the sims while in the navy led him to come out (laughs) (laughs) now i'm quoting from the new york times article he said uh, the Navy guy says, the more I played the game and experienced that possibility for life in an alternate universe, the more I wanted to make that reality for myself, said Dr. Schloss, 41, who was granted an honorable discharge from the Navy Medical Corps in 2007 and is now an assistant professor of clinical radiology at New York Hospital. So a fucking loser and a nobody who's ruined his life by playing video yeah, games. Not a success like Rod, who lives in like a circus tent with <laughs> other... Uh, <laughs> fucking maniac. He lives in the compound. I, I picture do you, do you Rod. Think, is, do you think it was uh, the Sims that turned this guy gay, or just being in the Navy? Yeah, I mean that's uh, the thing. Once you're in the Navy, you're halfway there. Uh, I mean, and that's uh, his 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 uh, conception of causality. There is pretty funny. It's like this guy didn't become a gay character in this game because he had those desires and he sort of wanted to express his entire life. Yeah. No, no, he was straight as a fucking arrow his entire life. But then he's like, you know, this guy in my computer seems to be having a good time. Maybe I should put my dick in an asshole. I mean, because that's how human beings think. Whom amongst us did not become polyamorous because of Halo? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, I want I want I want a Cortana, but she's just not real. She's not real. And I torture myself thinking that every day. I loved it. I love when I play Unreal Tournament. And uh, I, I want uh, an announcer voice uh, noting my victories in life. 
uh, Rod continues with just, he just says, get this. And he's quoting another part of the article where uh, researchers describe what they call uh, a Proteus effect. Um, it says a concept introduced in 2007 by researchers at Stanford where basically they, they concluded, or there's some study that said the appearance of someone's online avatar can have a significant impact on his or her behavior in and out of a virtual environment. Uh, this tells us that avatars can change our behaviors, Mrs. Ms. Fox said. They allow us to practice and test out certain behaviors in a virtual world. So obviously to Rod, this is deeply, deeply frightening. Um, he says, is there ever a time in one's life when one's identity is more unsettled than adolescence? Even though things are rather more um, diverse, and that's in italics, in 2016 than 1981, we are still not in a culture in which one can declare oneself a half-elf and find oneself affirmed and even valorized by one's culture, including the institution of high school. We are there, however, with transgenderism and gender fluidity. What if the happiness I thought would be mine if I could have stepped into the constructed identity of my D&D character with whom I had come to identify after months of intense playing had been offered to me as something real? How would have I reacted at 14 and 15? Well, you probably would have become an emotionally stable adult, is what I'm guessing. Okay, th th okay you ready for this? He says, there are no such things as half-elves. There are such creatures as transgenders, genderqueers, and the lot. Oh, oh my God. Oh, God. God. He is the vile. Yeah. It's like you have fun with, with Rod, and then it's like, oh, I forgot, you're human garbage. <laughs> yeah. He calls transgender teenagers creatures in this. Um, uh, he says, um, I laughed at adults who thought D&D &D nerds like me were going to run off and get lost in the woods thinking we were half-elves fighting orcs and basilisks, but I'm not at all sure that this new stuff is a laughing matter. The reader who sent me the link to the Times story comments, what are we becoming before our very eyes? That's the end of the article. <laughs> orcs. He ends it. He ends it yeah, we're orcs. <laughs> Monsters. Monsters. I'm going to have, yeah, I, I'm having uh, my ears uh, pointed surgically. Exactly. I don't know what Rod's talking about. That's we definitely the are it's at like, the point where you can be an elf. Yeah, and, and if you did that, it's like, say you at 14 were like, you know what, I'm an elf, and what? You got your, like, ears made pointy. Uh, who fucking cares? You know? <laughs> yeah. And then maybe in a few years you don't like it anymore and you get your ears rounded. Okay, fine. It would not impact. It would be fine. No one would care. The, the, his, his, it's like his visceral revulsion of all this stuff does so much work in these pieces because he never actually goes to any length to show any kind of real harm that any of this is causing. It's just so self-evidently harmful because it terrifies him so much. Now, if you if you read Rod a lot like I do, uh, you'll you'll. Be familiar with one of his catchphrases. Believe me, believe it or not, he does have catchphrases. And one of them that he returns to over and over again is, quote, you will be made to care. <laughs> and this is his sort of like his, his pithy <laughs> phrase that like describes his, the kind of uh, liberal fascism of, you know, that you will be made to shower in a multi-sex bathroom or Christ knows what else. But the thing is, it, it, once again, it's just pure projection on his part because the thing that angers Rod more than anything else is that nobody in the culture really does care about anything that, that he does. And it's passed him by probably by about 40 or 50 centuries. 
Yeah, like uh, the, the, no, nobody's gonna fucking make anybody at gunpoint get gender reassigned or anything like that. Like they're gonna yet. put your name, they're gonna put your name on a bo- on a on a ping pong ball in a big drum and roll it, and then be like, "You are now an otter." That's not <laughs> what he wants is the state to do the opposite. He wants the state to enforce gender at the barrel of a gun, which is really pretty invasive and uh, totalitarian. Well, that's why I mean, Rod Rod wants the entire world to be a safe space. Yeah, yes, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, this is his whole thing about his, his the other his other catchphrase is the Benedict option, which is his weird kooky idea for like how to live in a cosmopolitan society that you want to opt out of. Like it's it's his strategy for dealing with the fact that he's in a moral minority that now has to live in a country that uh, where people's sort of ethics and beliefs don't match up exactly with his bizarre sort of fetishes because that's the other thing like he's just transposed all this D shit for religion and i have to I say mean, like, i'm in favor of the benedict option go for it yeah but you know what that means you have to like disconnect your internet and stop yeah, get offline posting. asshole i love i love it and is, stop posting i love Start uh, farming bitch i love that rod like his big caveat is like all right look we better start exterminating trans people or you, you won't see any more Rod Dreher around here. Like, oh, well, you drive a tough bargain, Rod. I mean, it's I like... Love, I want to need to keep you around. In the early, ni- in the early 20th century, uh, there were a bunch of... Well, a handful, I guess, of, of Russian Orthodox old believers who fled to, the, to Siberia rather than accede to changes in liturgy and stuff being promulgated by the by the Romanovs, and they stayed out there in the fucking uh, mountains for 50 years. Nobody knew they were there. They were not fucking sending, like, uh, you know, they weren't strapping missives to the tail of a fucking horse and slapping in the ass and having it ride to Moscow so somebody could hear their bullshit complaints. Not only... Hewed wood and and chilled out in their fucking cabins. Go for it. No one's stopping you. Not only... Not only is Rod not building his own fucking cabin in the woods to farm and like live off the grid or whatever, he had another article last week that described going to a craft work concert in New Orleans, where he got <laughs> where he got angry at Solan, uh, Solange Knowles. Fuck, am I saying that name right? Solange. Solange Knowles. God, what is wrong with you, dude? Solange, amazing. <laughs> can, we, can we edit this out? How later? would it even occur to you to say Solange? Matt, people will not, our child is not going to grow if you yell at him every time he tries to learn. I think there's something wrong in my brain. I don't, I don't know. I think like there's the part that processes names is flipped or something. Dyslexic. That's got to be my mo- but The first time I heard my mom say Beyonce, she said Beyonce. <laughs> yeah, he's got mom thing. brain. Will has mom anyway. brain. Anyway, Rod wants to drop out of society, but he still wants to go to fucking craft work concerts and then yell at a young woman for dancing. <laughs> yeah, it's like if you do, if you search out things to get mad at all the time, guess what? You're going to get fucking mad. Unlike us, you've uh, never been mad, ever. Oh, no, never. We find it all very funny. <laughs> anyway, uh, fuck Rod Dreher. Yes. Seriously, I don't feel bad for him at all, despite his miserable childhood. Uh, he's a miserable prick as an adult, yeah, so no, fuck he, him. He's an awful piece of shit who wants the entire world to bend for how alone and shitty he feels inside, and he wants to terrorize children. Uh, he's a piece of shit. 
fuck him. I hope this this circus tent that he lives in with his other religious freak friends collapses. I don't give a shit about him. He can go Benedict away and go fuck himself. Uh, ending on a ending on a always ending with love in our hearts. Uh, oh yeah, our love our love is pure, as uh, Alexander Coburn once said. But uh, to close out the show today, why don't we uh, dip into the old mailbag? What do you say? Let's do it, boys. Let's read some uh, some listener mail. First letter comes from uh, Mussolini Spider-Man, <laughs> who says... That was the worst sequel, by the way. I mean, that is why Tobey Maguire left the franchise. No, uh, James Franco was great as Denunzio. <laughs> <laughs> Mussolini Spider-Man says, uh, During your Aaron Sorkin masterclass bit at the beginning of episode 34, you played an audio clip that was purported to be from Neon Genesis Evangelion, yet was actually from the esteemed family court-themed anime, Fate Zero. Brendan, Brendan, would you have something to say for yourself? I'm sorry. I, I didn't know people would, would know what animes were which, and a lot of people... Did if anyone have no would idea know. who our fans are. Yeah, holy shit. <laughs> I don't look at the uh, He says, through your brazen ignorance, you have alienated the many anime Nazis that listen to the obvious psyop that you call your show. As demographic oh research shows, they make up a good 75% of your listener base. I suggest you apologize to these basement-dwelling incels that I am in no way associated with. A concerned fan. Uh, guys, I got this. Konnichiwa. <laughs> In the land of Nippon, wrongs are made right when the wronger in question opens his stomach with a wakazashi blade, <laughs> which is made when a piece of steel is folded over itself 1,000 times. Rest assured, Brendan will be doing this to restore honor. <laughs> great shame. Great, great shame. Uh, next letter. Next letter here comes to us from uh, Nicholas, um, <laughs> who's at at real Ayn Rand. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> he says, uh, "Dear Chapo boys, love you guys. The podcast is the highlight of my week, but it is putting an unnecessary strain on my relationship. My girlfriend says Will's voice is too annoying to listen to. <laughs> in response, I haven't touched her in weeks. I'm afraid she's going to leave me until Will fixes this. Best wishes, Nicholas." Uh, another, uh, another, per another relationship uh, ruined by me. Nicholas, you were on the right track. You're on the right track by not touching her for a few weeks. Do not know why you were touching her before that. Stay pure. Keep that essence. <laughs> yeah, like you think this is an accident. This, all this shit. Will's voice, uh, our body talk. It's all designed to split up your relationships so that you can concentrate on what's important. Going to all of our live shows. Yes, I will. Okay, I mean, I I feel bad. Um, I'm sorry you don't like my voice. I will stop using my radio voice and just use my my real voice from now on. Hold on a second. The multiculturalism and the poison, <laughs> poisoning America. <laughs> I played I dailywire.com. I, I, I will destroy a leftist at your campus if you invite me. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry for fucking up everyone's names again, too. I really am. I'm a piece of shit. Uh, next question comes from Cameron Wilson. Subject, Matt's wife. <laughs> you better not be fucking emailing her. That's all I know. You can email me all you want, buddy. I can take it. Uh, Cameron Wilson writes, Does Kushbaum's wife listen to Chapo? Thanks. Uh, no. No, not at all. And she's explained it to me in a way that totally makes sense. 
And I'll explain it to you this way. Like, you know when I'm going off on one of my patented Kush rants? Where I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm you get ahead kicking of steam ass and on taking you. Yeah. names and whatnot. <laughs> well, basically, she gets that all day, every day. So she has absolutely no desire to sit there and have it piped through headphones right into her skull. And I totally get that. <laughs> uh they didn't ask me, but I'm going to answer anyway. Uh, my girlfriend also doesn't listen to the show um, because uh, she's with uh, the other half of our triad most of the most of the week, and she just you know too busy. <sighs> Next question uh, comes from Mike Hess. Uh, actually, okay, this one is actually sort of a complaint, and uh, I, I think it's worth uh, addressing on the show. Uh, just to show that you know we're we can take criticism, we're, we're happy to air any uh, complaints you have, uh, even serious ones like this. Mike Hess writes, "Hey Chapos, Gray Wolf here again. I'll always talk to any Gray Wolf. We'll, we'll you know we'll address any concern from a Gray Wolf." He says, "Thought the last episode was missing the hashtag woke talking about Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, isn't she enough of a reptile to avoid getting into quote pound my pussy gags and calling her the quote princess of the Breakfast Club?" Personal insults are well-deserved, but gendered insults are hacky. Not trying to be a cuck, but I think you can do better. Mike. You're not trying. You just are. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I address the, cons- the, the complaint. I think it's a real one. I just think it's misplaced because... Uh, I, or rather, I would take it more seriously if you were a woman, Mike, but you're not. So, like, if a woman was complaining about... Felix's gag about us doing the violin on Elizabeth Holmes. What are you talking about? She came in to my uh, to my living room and told us <laughs> that wasn't a bit. No. Look, I mean, yeah, my I attitude about this is like you know, make, in terms of making fun of someone's identity or something that they can't change about themselves is generally not a good thing to do. But I, you know, I just think certain people they pass a certain threshold of money, power, and evilness that I think it becomes okay. And I think Elizabeth Holmes checks off all three of those I boxes. Think, I, I think the ter- and the jokes weren't that mean anyway. Right. I, yeah. I think the terrible rich person grifter who uh, most likely caused people to die by saying that her fucking Etch-A-Sketch could detect diseases, <laughs> I think it's okay to make a joke about a, a man from YouTube eating her box. I don't care. <laughs> if you don't, if you care, I don't, I don't know what the fuck to tell you. I, well, and I just like I like that's the thing. I I thought it was really more a Dan Quinn thing. Than it is a Dan Quinn joke than really about her. <laughs> Whether we should make fun of Dan Quinn and, and the mentally ill is uh, another we, issue. We, we probably shouldn't be doing most of this. Like, if you want to get down to it, but uh, hey, uh, people keep encouraging us. And look, uh, this is uh, this is one more complaint that was in the mailbag that I, I do want to address. Uh, this is maybe not from a subscriber. I don't even know. This is just even like anonymous. But it just says, uh, "It's so dope that you guys say faggot all the time. It's sick because you don't mean it that way, and it's why it's your edgy and true." Now, this one actually I think is completely unwarranted because we don't say it all the time. I know I've said it one time on the show when we were talking about. Uh, the Rain Over Me, the Adam Sandler 9-11 movie episode, where I was clearly discussing dialogue that takes place in the movie where Adam Sandler's character goads his friend into saying it. and I, you know, But it was clearly in context that was not... I just think that's a ridiculous complaint. We've never yeah. called someone a faggot, you know... Uh, uh, I have never... Otherwise. I have never. 
I never have on this show. You can check the tapes because I'm good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, all it me- takes is to be a good person, and I am one. You guys could learn me- something. Me too. I uh, I have only said that word everywhere else except for the show. <laughs> <laughs> um. Now, uh, Matt, there, you said there were two other uh, letters that are probably yeah. somewhere in the uh, inbox. But... I, I'm kind of kicking myself because I didn't answer them earlier because now they're like buried into our inbox and I can't find them. Um, but there were two, I thought, interesting questions that were worth addressing. And I'm sorry to the people who asked them because I'm not going to be able to specifically name you. But if you remember, uh, you know, months ago uh, asking these questions, well... Strap in, you're finally going to get an answer. Uh, one of them was a guy who asked, are you dudes uh, Bernie Sanders socialists or, like, actual socialists? And I thought that was an interesting question, and I just wanted to say that for myself, uh, I always found that the Bernie Sanders campaign was basically a a introduction of sort of ideas of socialism into a broader uh, political discussion, but certainly only the beginning of one. Like, just to take one example, Bernie talked a lot about breaking up big banks, and that's a great idea, but, uh, you know, I would personally prefer if uh, finance uh, as an institution was uh, socialized, which is possible and preferable. Uh, But, you know, you're not going to get to there until you have people starting to accept, you know, the first... uh, premise. So, I would say that I am uh, I am more of an actual like socialist socialist than specifically Bernie's uh, camp Bernie's platform. But I feel like if you want to reckon with the reality of American politics, where socialist ideas have sort of totally decayed and been unrepresented for decades, uh, you really have to take any opportunity you can to push things leftward. Yeah, I'm for anything that works. Um, I'm, I'm a pragmatic socialist. Prag sock. I- <laughs> Prag sock. No, I mean, but yeah, you're right. Bernie is basically a New Deal Democrat, but I'll take I'll take whatever we can get. Yeah, he's a better option than anything else we got. But uh, you know, I consider myself like practically for my practical political concerns a socialist, but in my heart of hearts, an anarcho racist. <laughs> it's a new ideology I've invented. I've been working on it, and uh, I'm launching it's the website. Because you hate everybody, soon. right? Yeah, I'm not a racist. I hate everybody equally. If you can read this, you're too close. <laughs> uh, Matt, what was the, what was the second question? And the second one was it was a response to one of our early segments about the election when somebody else had asked us who we plan to vote out, vote for, and we say voting is sort of overrated, and people fretting about their presidential vote is sort of a waste of time. Uh, and he made a strong point, and he said, you know, that is probably true, but. There are a lot of state and local races where your vote actually does make a difference and your quality of life is determined at a level that a lot of people don't even realize. Uh, And he made a lot of strong points. It was a a longer and well-argued email, and I wish I remembered what the dude's name is, but I hope he's listening. And I just want to say that I actually totally agree with that, and I kind of want to bring that up to add an addendum to that whole thing about voting. I said one of the real... Uh, downfalls of the left broadly is sort of a fixation on the presidency and that's been going Mm -hmm. on for decades 
And I feel like, yeah, vote at a local level and pay attention at a local level. And frankly, and as a side, side note, that is why way more than like crystals or chiropractic or anything else, uh, that is why I think that Jill Stein and the Greens are goofies. It's because they do this thing where every four years they trot somebody else to run out and collect a bunch of protest votes. And they have no plan for state or local races where they could maybe win. Go to, you know, in, in, in blue states, in, in blue areas where there's not that danger of, of splitting an electorate and voting a Republican in. Where you could genuinely move things left. And they don't fucking even try to do that. They spend, they spend all their energy on these quixotic campaigns every four years that just feel like ego strokes. And that is why the Greens are goofies. It's not, it really has nothing to do with you know, the fact that Jill Stein thinks that the cure for headache, head, headaches is uh, you know, sit on a microwave or whatever. It's because they don't fucking contest elections where they could actually change things. Um, one of the uh, sort of like local political issues that has probably driven me crazy for the past 10 years of my life is public transportation. Public transportation, I think, is a huge deal, and uh, we got to get rid of it. We got to yeah, get rid it, of it. Shit. <laughs> but uh, no, like, dude, don't disrepair. worry about it. Uh, fucking uh, eternally f- driving Ubers, they're on the way. <laughs> yeah, right. But in the time being, uh, in uh, disrepair of public transportation is a way that uh, people in cities are made to feel not a part of society and kept out of the the benefits of living in a big city. It keeps them from employment and even any type of any seeing any other type of the city it is the it is a massive barrier in people's lives in my own neighborhood our trains are constantly fucked up it's not a big deal for me i can take a car if i really need to need it but people who actually work for a living uh and make shit wages it is absolutely isolating them from society even worse is in chicago where they instituted a horrific payment system that priced out the poorest people, I think, sort of in a conscious effort to isolate them. But that's a great example of a local issue that affects your life and a lot of people's lives a lot. That, uh, you know, I guess going back to beating this shit out of the Greens, uh, you won't really see them talk about. Uh, and uh, no, look, that type of voting is very important. In Cook County, we do only have one organ of the county. Municipal uh, board that isn't completely fucking broken, and that's the Water Reclamation Authority. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, of course we can go back to Democrats who have lost something like 900 plus state legislature seats in the past since 2008. But uh, no, yeah, those usually affect your life and the lives of others uh, way more than presidential elections, and your vote counts a lot more. This is what people come to uh, Chapo for: is in-depth discussions of municipal public transit issues. Yeah, and the water reclamation authority. <laughs> I'm I'm here with George Meany. He's organized labor <laughs> <a> dinosaur. <laughs> it depends upon what you mean by crisis. <laughs> uh, okay, that's it for uh, episode forty-three. Yep. Uh, see you all. See you guys uh, Saturday night at Genius Headquarters. And if you can't make it, 
Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> no, I was going to say, you can't make it. You're done. You can't make it. It will be recorded. You'll get a chance to listen to it if for some stupid reason you can't make it to New York City Seriously, this go fuck yourself. <laughs> we love all the gray walls. All right. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. Bye-bye. Oh, is this your snowbank? No. Who are you? Well, actually, I am a dentist. A dentist? Well, I want to be someday. Right now, I'm just an elf. We're a couple of misfits. We're a couple of misfits. What's the matter with misfits? That's where we fit in. We're not happy and silly. Don't go round willy-nilly. Seems to us kind of silly that we don't fit in. We may be different from the rest.